social, impact, everywhere. Welcome back, my fellow social impactors, to another episode of the Social Impactors Podcast. And today we have another special guest for you. We have Victor Bosolet, and he is the principal consultant at Intuit Consulting, and he's a founder and co-chair of SETSI, that is S-E-T-S-I, and they're the Social Economic for Social Inclusion Coalition. And so, Victor, I want to start this podcast off by saying, man, I'm so excited to have you today, and thanks for taking time with me. No, no, thank you. Thank you, brother. And SETSI is social economy through social inclusion. That's my bad. Social economy through social inclusion coalition. I love that. And so let's jump right in, man. <laughs> I want to jump right in. And the first question I have for you really is about a little bit about you, a little bit about what you do, and why you believe you're a social impactor. Um, sure. So I'm a husband, father, author, um, social entrepreneur, nation builder. And um, I've, I've been at this work for quite some time. Since a young man, I was always an entrepreneur. And I scaled a few organizations when I was very young. Um, I built an organization called Redemption Reintegration Services at the age of 23. And we were able to acquire $3.5 million from the provincial government to work with young people coming out of incarceration. As a founder and as the executive director of that organization, I um, developed or and co-created a, a few social enterprises within the model. We had a barber shop. We had quite a few things that were incredible, landscaping model. Um, so with that being said, I cut my teeth very early in terms of um, this space. And um, as I got older, I recognized that social impact is about building movements, about building coalitions, about convening people, gathering people, and through dialogue and deliberation, creating innovative ideas, weaving together relationships to solve social problems. I mean, you've been doing this, like you said, for, from a very, very young age. And, and what was that catalyst that made you want to you know, take this work and, and really go with it? What was that catalyst in your young life? Uh, my young life, the catalyst was a lot of my friends I'm um, dying and a lot of my friends I'm um, going to jail due to social economic circumstance, their socialization, and sometimes their environments. And um, a lot of my peers in East Toronto and Scarborough always had an incredible um, entrepreneurial nature, but they were always very giving. So some of the models were just to circumvent poverty. Um, and with that being said, when when I got older, older and a little bit wiser, I recognized the need to figure out ways and means um, to do good work and to generate revenue um, to, to circumvent poverty. So that was how I got involved at a young age. As I got older, um, I recognized the lack of diversity, equity, access, and inclusion in some of these ecosystems. And a lot of times it's not um, intentional. It's just predicating the fact that folks aren't aware. And so we've been working on closing gaps and building bridges and connecting and convening unlikely allies for a while now. And that's, that's absolutely incredible what you're doing, honestly. And, and, you know, kudos to you for doing that, that hard work because it's not easy. Uh, and, and yeah, I always have that, that, oh, it just, it boils my blood a bit. <laughs> the, the idea of, you know, uh, of the lack of equity and lack of access and lack of equal opportunity, uh, just based on, you know, socioeconomic status, things like that. And, and, and one thing I've noticed, and, and I'm quite young, so this might be a little bit naive, but I've noticed it's, a, it's pretty systemic. 
right? It's something that was built yep. in the system. And when something is systemic, it, it is hard to change. However, nothing is impossible <laughs> to change. So the more work that we do on creating equal access, my big thing is equal access to opportunity. I think if you have the opportunity yeah. to make something of yourself, everyone should have that opportunity. It should not be limited to one type of person. No, I, I love that. And to be honest with you, I've always been one of those people that I love the word you can't or don't or it's impossible. Those things actually drive me to actually work harder. Um, and, and the beautiful thing about um, my work is it's not my work. Um, this is not me doing this alone. I'm, it's a coalition and it's my family and it's colleagues and it's mentors. Intergenerational collaboration is a huge part of my work. Try, I'm working towards ensuring that we're able to learn from the past, learn from our elders, um, learn from those narratives before us. Because a lot of times, um, young people, um, whether it be millennials or Gen Zers, we believe that we like discovered racism or discovered oh, oppression. Yeah. <laughs> when there's been elders that have been working on some of these very um, challenging problems for decades. So I'm really big on acquiring elders into life and really learning from them. <laughs> it's funny that you say that. Oh, not funny, but it's it's very true. And I remember one of the one of the things that I had heard was, um, uh, you know, the age old conversation of of elders saying that youth don't respect them. You know that conversation where it's, you know, oh, they don't respect yeah, my yeah. knowledge. Well, <laughs> people say that you know it's a new problem, and you know, oh, it's something that you know our, our new economy has changed. Uh, little did they know that, <laughs> that they were doing uh, some excavation in in I think it was Greece. It was somewhere in the world, and they were looking at uh, um, one of the sites. Actually, I think it was Pompeii. It was where it was where uh, Pompeii happened, and there was a a preserved uh, urinal or something, or a, just an area, and on the wall <laughs> was inscribed in their language the exact same statement from that long ago that said, "You yeah. do not respect our elders." <laughs> so we've had these problems <laughs> forever. Yeah, it was the funniest thing because I thought even back then, youth were you know <laughs> that that, yeah. that respecting wasn't there. So it's something that you're right. That is, that is, uh, existed for a long time and we haven't discovered it, but what I like now is in the space of social impact is we're, we're actually doing work to really systemically change it. And that is new, right? Indeed. indeed. And I love that. And, and, and so with the second question, I, I'm really looking forward to your insight on this just because, um, of your background. And so the question I have is how are you making then a positive impact in your community with all the work that you're doing? Um, the main way I start making a positive impact in my community is just it's the time of day I wake up. <laughs> I, I wake up at 5 a.m. every day, Monday through Sunday. It's taken me a long time to get to that level of discipline. And as a husband and father of four, um, my diligence in my, my homestead, within my house, in terms of edifying my children, I'm building with my wife, creates a dynamic world. We have a solid and a strong family. And I really believe that strong families are the first to healthy and vibrant communities. So my work, my community work actually starts within my home um, and then externally by um, providing opportunities for my children to connect with community, to gain access to mentors, elders, uncles, aunties, and actually um, dedicate their days to a, a purpose. Um, so purposeful action, intentional community change and, and, and become a change agent is something that I cultivate in my house. And then I see the reverberations in my community through the way people address me, engage me, partner with me, collaborate with me as a husband and father. Um, so uh, I also spend a lot of time convening and organizing people. My, 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 my roots is in grassroots organizing. 
So convening folks on the ground, community mobilizing, organizing, meetings, events, gatherings, initiatives, projects, you know? So, so through that work, I end up weaving together a lot of relationships and I manage a lot of relationships. Like I have two Facebook pages with 5,000 friends on them. I have a LinkedIn account with 6,700 contacts. I have an Instagram page with over 3,000 folks that engage with me. So disproportionately over communicating with my community and communities, whether it be in person or online, is part of the way that I make an impact because when folks see good work happening in the community, it changes their DNA. It makes them recognize, hey, you know what? I need to be the change that I want to see in the world. So I think um, just through um, having a daily liberty, like a, a, a conscious awareness of the impact that I should be making as a husband and father, as a young man in my community, um, is imperative and it actually helps and aids others in terms of doing the same thing. The one thing you had said, the one statement you'd said that, you know, when you're involved and when you make an impact, it changes your DNA. That is so true. That's so true. It's, it's, it's baffling the difference between, you know, having a, a connected community and not having a connected community and, and, the, and the difference in mental health, the difference in, you know, economic opportunity. It changes everything. Indeed. And I, I just wanted to highlight that because I love it. <laughs> no worries, no worries. That's it's incredible. And so let's jump into the next question then too, because I love this transition. Because the next question is about business. So we talked about you, we talked about community, and now I want to know your insights on business. And so the question I have for you is this idea of social impact. Do you believe it's an important part of business? Absolutely, absolutely. If, Right now, the, the, the economy has moved to a place where you need a social license to sell. Like, there's a reason why Bell focuses on mental health is because they recognize they have to do good work. <laughs> Bell is a business. They sell telephone and internet services and provide a plethora of service offerings in, uh, in the economy. But they've honed down and said, we want to do some philanthropic work in the mental health. Almost every major bank across the world has a corporate social responsibility department. And even um, the hedge fund guys and the private equity firms, they've developed frameworks around, um, I think they're called ESGs, but um, around environment and sustainability goals. I think that uh, when you look even at the United Nations SDG goals and the fact that the sustainable development goals have been adopted and started to be implemented by not just financial markets and financial, the financial service industry, but by businesses across the globe, there is a, an obvious correlation between social impact, doing good, and business. It's good business to do good. Yeah, no, honestly, that's exactly it. That simple statement of, of do good business. <laughs> it's something that the work that I do is, you know, in the back of my head every single day and every decision I make is do just do good business. <laughs> yep. Like the, the amount of um, uh, economic pull that good businesses have. And I don't know if you've heard of the stat, but it was something that just kind of solidified that for me. Uh, Unilever did a census mm -hmm. on their portfolio companies. Yeah, you might know about this. And, uh, yep. and what they showed through the census was that, that, the difference between a traditional business and a sustainable business, so they said sustainable versus non-sustainable, was that sustainable businesses were 40% more profitable than traditional businesses that were not sustainable. Absolutely. Absolutely. 40%. Like, that's, it. That's, it. that's even economically better. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
and it, 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 so everything you're saying is absolutely true. And, and, and I'm just curious then as a kind of a twofold of that question, what really solidified that for you, that, that doing good business is actually doing good business? What was that for you? I learned that a very long time ago in a very nefarious way. I had, um, I grew up in East Toronto and in the Malvern and Kingston Gallery communities and even in Regent Park when I was a gang intervention worker out there. There were um, young men that were doing very malefic and uh, malevolent things in the community to generate revenue. But I would watch every year, they spend thousands of dollars. These are older heads, I was like 16. And these 21 year old men would spend thousands of dollars to bus young people to Canada's Wonderland from the community. <laughs> you know I mean? Wow. And give out bikes. And so, so that was always um, really auspicious. It stuck with me like, these guys are doing dirt, <laughs> doing things that are wrong and law enforcement's after them. But once or twice a year, they're spending all this money to contribute to children that even the hard earning, decent working folks aren't even addressing. <laughs> I mean, yeah. So I, I learned that at a pretty young age from, from the dope boys on the block, to be honest with you. Uh, that's interesting. It's interesting to see that, you know, even even people who might systemically be stuck in that place that, that requires them to do these these things that, you know, most people wouldn't do. Uh, even they have a heart. There, there's There's so much that people want to do to help each other out. Yeah, these guys were completely operating on the margins, on the periphery of the economy, <laughs> and they that well, that's that's an enlightening story, honestly. That really is. I love those type of stories. Um, so, I'd love to jump into the last question, if that's all right with you. Sure. So, the last question I have is about your advice, and so I want to ask, what is that advice for other people to begin making their own impact? Yeah, so I'll bring it to just um, where we're at right now. The Canadian government is doing a lot of work around social finance and the potential for social finance is limitless. And I think the critical thing that we need to do to make impact is to ensure that those on the margins, periphery of our society and our economy, um, those from the most underserved marginalized, those from racialized backgrounds that traditionally don't get a voice in some of these spaces to make impact, are not just consulted and engaged in a, a way that sometimes isn't meaningful, but are brought to the table with an equitable voice. And to do that, capacity building has to happen. We need to have shared language and shared understanding. And when you look at a lot of the frameworks and models, whether it be social finance, social procurement, social purchasing, social entrepreneurship, cooperatives, we've always had indigenous ways of knowing and being. We've had money pools, susus, cooperatives since the beginning of time. So I really believe that as a, as a human family, we have to find ways and means to create greater inclusion, diversity, equity, and access so we can solve these wicked problems that are obvious. These are pervasive problems. That's when you peel them back, it's more prevailing. Like it's, it's more challenging, more challenging. So to circumvent groupthink and to, to, to really come with diverse and innovative ways of attacking these problems, we need to include everyone. That's exactly it. There can't, it, it goes back to that idea of, you know, equal opportunity. We can't leave anyone behind in the sense that everyone should have a right to try and do something great. Absolutely. I love that. So Victor, I want to just end this podcast with saying, you know, thanks for being here with me today. Thanks for giving such incredible insight. And, you know, for me, it's right in my, right in my backyard and it's right in your backyard too. So, uh, it, you know, it even hits more home for me, but uh, I really just want to say, you know, a heartfelt thank you for being with me today. 
No, thank you, brother. I appreciate your leadership. This is a tremendous act of leadership and, and, and continue doing some great work. I'm, I'm very proud of this podcast and I look forward to um, hear, hearing more about what you're, what you're doing.